Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And we are joined this week by Anna Escher. She is an audience development manager at TechCrunch. And you were last on the show, I think, to talk about sharp objects. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Anna, I love having you on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I just well, I just feel like you and I, content-wise, we just really see eye to eye a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, mostly it's about Taylor Swift, but... <laughs> well, with Taylor Swift, I mean, Pitch Perfect, that was great bonding oh, experience true. for us. Obviously, you're into you. I just feel like we have a lot in common there. Yeah, similar tastes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> taste makers, Good taste. Really. Just good taste. Yeah. <laughs> All of our trash television. I don't know if that's true. Um, okay. We are going to just review... The television series You, which is going to be incredibly confusing and will probably lead to many moments of not knowing what the hell we're talking about, but we're gonna we're gonna power through it, and and this is gonna be good content. I've, I've got a good feeling about this. <laughs> it's be um, good original content. That's <laughs> right. Um, we should also mention it's sort of this weird thing where You was actually first broadcast uh, last September on Lifetime. And I had no idea that it was on. And then it, um, because Netflix picked up the second season and turned it in, you know, now it has this title of Netflix original and it went live on Netflix, that suddenly it seems like everyone's talking about it. Very suddenly. I mean, that's what a little Penn Badgley on your, on your Netflix queue will do, right? I mean, it's just I, I a think so. It's a distribution channel thing. I'm not like scouring Lifetime for the latest, you know. Yeah, I wonder if it's just that Penn Badgley is just a better fit for the uh, the Netflix audience than the, the Lifetime audience. Well, I mean, Gossip Girl is also on Netflix and gets consumed ravenously, I'm sure. You know. You know better than all of us, Anthony. <laughs> uh, I did watch the entire first season of Gossip Girl in one night. That's true. Oh, wow. So you know what Penn Badgley is capable of on, on a <laughs> Netflix screen. Um, well, because I... Cause I f- there was also this period where I would like, because he lives, I think, somewhere near me in Williamsburg. Hashtag humble brag. That, it's not a humble brag. It's just a brag. Um, and like, I would excitedly <laughs> tell people about it. But no, everyone would be like, who is that? I've never seen Gossip Girl. And, and I feel like now, thanks to you, he's having another moment. And people are going to get excited again when I tell them about my Penn Badgley sightings. Well, you're welcome. Have you guys ever thought that Penn Badgley, his name, someone was saying this to me the other day. They were like, yeah, it's like if you get pulled over in a cop car and you need to fake a name and you point to the first <laughs> Penn Badgley. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like it. Um, he seems cool, like from his Twitter and what I've seen in brief interviews and stuff. I, it's, I haven't like fallen down a Penn Badgley hole yet, but from what I've seen, peripherally. He seems cool. Normal. I would agree but with that. You never know with these people. Um, anyway. It's kind of the theme <laughs> of the talk, show. Let's talk about what, what you's all about. Yeah, exactly. So um, Penn Badgley plays the main character. He is a deeply passionate man. And he <laughs> he's a kind of a literary snob as well. And he falls head over heels for this girl, Beck, Guinevere Beck, to be... Um, clear and she doesn't really know he exists and he is a stalker and essentially a really creepy kind of deranged guy 
but the curiosity of you, well, there are two things I think that make it good and interesting and people have really picked up on. One is that like the humor is just right. Like it's like not so witty and funny. It's not like girls, right? Where it's like highly intellectual, but it's like just witty enough and clever enough that you feel like, oh, I'll laugh at that. And the fact that Penn Badgley has done an amazing job of pulling off being this really kind of hot, like hunky, not hunky really, but like hot romantic boyfriend while also being like a murderer and creep. And it's a confusing thing to watch because you do You're like, wow, he just wants to protect her and loves her. But then you're like, wait, he's in her bathroom. Like, this is not cool. So those are my thoughts initially. Anna, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was really gripping. I, I think there's a really interesting tie-in with the um, the romantic arc of the show as well as the thriller arc of the show. Um, I mean, the show creators kind of made the opening shots of everything to look like this kind of New York City romance show with the big wide angle panning shots of New York City and the dreamy bookstore and kind of the close-ups of the characters and kind of the whispering conversations. Like it, it really looks like it's going to be a love story, but then, you know, the events of the actual show are that he is a stalker and a psychopath and a murderer. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought it was really good. I binge watched it and um, yeah, it, I was definitely left thinking a lot afterwards about kind of how, um, like what kind of serial killer he is and if he falls into that category or if he's more of a, um, like a budding serial killer is kind of how it seems the show is positioning him. Well, so let's talk a little bit more before we we get into into spoilers, um, because I think there are going to be a lot of things we, we want to talk about where we sort of reveal some of the the, the plot. Um, but it's it is really interesting how the show treats Joe in the sense that you're right that it starts off in this kind of very romantic um, style, and 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 like you know th- also the fact that he gets the voiceover, um, and and in some scenes like it's really like a constant monologue that he gives and it's it's this interesting balance where he sounds very reasonable and caring and and he talks about you know this woman back as as if he like really cares about her and then it just like gradually kind of dawns and you're like oh this person is pretty messed up and a lot of the stuff he's saying is 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 pretty screwed up so i'm curious like did you guys pick up right away that that there was something kind of off about Joe, or did it was there like a moment in the early episodes where you realized, oh, this is not the show that I thought it was going to be? Well, I went in knowing entirely what was going on because I had read all like the BuzzFeed shit on it, so I knew he was, I knew all of the memes and shit before I ever watched it. So I couldn't. I, I knew he was going to be a jerk. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but I, I was spoiled a little bit. Yeah, I think it was when he he started following her and was spying on her and masturbating on her doorstep. <laughs> that was the big <laughs> one. Sorry, I keep doing spoilers. I'm no. sorry. That's, I don't think that's a big uh, one. That's pretty early on. Yeah, yeah, that's the first episode. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, that was to me that the, the moment where I, because I think I'd already heard a little bit about the discussion and the fact that some people are like super 
into Joe. And I can understand why in, in some ways. Um, but I feel like, because I think the show, like you, like we've been saying, stylistically in some ways really puts you in his shoes. And part of what's interesting about it is this, is that it, it puts you in his shoes and, and you kind of see his point of view and you find him in a lot of ways very compelling, but um, it never, it doesn't also like soft pedal the fact that he's, you know, a stalker and, and eventually worse than that. Um, but like even early on, you can tell that he, like there's just, the, I think the, the masturbating moment, I feel like was just such an early sign of like, okay, like you're not meant to be like totally on board with this guy. There's, there's something creepy with him. And, and I'm just, I felt like, that was when the sh- you could kind of tell where the show was going. Well, I think there's a lot of things about it that remind me of Dexter, actually. Did either of you mm-hmm. watch Dexter? No. Yeah, I watched some of it. Um, it, it. Like, where the stakes are constantly being raised around him to maintain his facade, but somehow you've gotten, like, just like you said, like, there's some level of empathy in the fact that the whole show is viewed from his eyes and you hear like his inner thoughts, I think it would be a completely different show without the voiceover. Right. Because hearing him think through when he's in a place he shouldn't be or doing something he shouldn't do the way he taught, it's a combination of Mm -hmm. like the writing and, and also just the fault form following function that we're, we're in his shoes, but the writing itself is also like, he's so confident in his goodness that you you find yourself buying into it sometimes like he'll he's coming from such a place of like i just care so much about her and she's so clumsy and makes so many mistakes you know like i just should put her in a cage or whatever whatever like crazy shit he's coming up with but it comes from such like a a confidently inherently good place he when he when it comes out of his own mouth that you find yourself confused by it. And Dexter felt a lot uh, uh, like very similar to that in a lot of ways where he's like out murdering people. And you're just like, I sure hope Dexter doesn't get caught, you know, <laughs> like yeah, totally. that would blow. Yeah. Yeah. I think the show does do a really good job of helping you empathize with him. And I think another really cool part of this is the Paco character. And I mean, the way I interpreted Paco, which is Joe's next door neighbor, who is the son of um, this woman who's in an abusive relationship um, with a, uh, I forget what he is, but he's something tied to the law. And so you see Paco and he's this little kid and he's like a, a younger version of Joe, it seems. And so you're seeing Joe go through these changes and these scary thoughts and do these violent acts. Um, but then you're also seeing like this really innocent, scared side of him emulated in um, Paco's character. Um, and it follows kind of Joe and Mr. Mooney and how Mr. Mooney was his mentor, um, but also was abusive to him. And you see Paco kind of start spending more time at the bookstore and he's reading all the books that Joe gives him. And so it's kind of this cyclical thing that's being portrayed throughout um, the episodes as another way to help people empathize with Joe. Well, and I I think another element of that too, is that you just that a lot of the other characters um, are kind of obnoxious. And so when like Joe has this sort of snarky, voiceover making fun of of some of these other characters i mean i guess particularly the um the the current boyfriend beck's current boyfriend uh, benji 
Yeah. Yeah, and like, and he's just so obnoxious that you, you like, in those conversations, you find yourself weirdly on Joe's side, even though he's kind of doing something incredibly fucked up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, same thing with um, the peach. Like, I think <laughs> we we also have to like bear in mind that we can't take the show too too seriously either because. I don't think it's meant to be there is like a a little splash of gossip girl in there even with things as simple as the fact that her name is guinevere Be- beck or her friend is peach salinger like it's just <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's just like a little much you know what i mean um but i think the biggest issue for this show i know it's based off of a book series so that changes this um, when shows are adapted from from books a lot, but is pacing? I feel I feel like pacing might be a little bit of an issue. Like I feel like it ramped up super quick, and I always am weary of when shows feel like they exhausted. Like I feel like the storyline of this season, if done more eloquently, could have been like a two season arc or even like a three season arc potentially, and. We were just off to the races. I mean, Anna said he's like masturbating on her doorstep in the first episode. Like we don't, there's no like slow build up to like, oh, maybe he turned creepy. Like, no, it's just creepy. And it starts that way. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and it, and it like amplifies by a lot by the end of the season. Like it, it amazed me how deep in under, uh, you know, in, our, in over our heads we were by the time the season ended. I was like, wow, okay, well, we're fucked. And it's signed on for a second one too, right? That's right. Yeah, I, f- I think they've even cast the the lead female for it. Not hopefully that doesn't spoil anything. Might. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they Whoops. they announced that there's there's they've announced some new casting. Um, and I think the go. idea That's to that say it. this um the the first season of you is basically uh, adapted from uh, the the first book in this series, and then I think. You know, the, the ideas is kind of similar to the early seasons of Game of Thrones. So it'll basically be like, you know, the second book will be the second season. Um, I don't know how long the, the, the book series goes for. So I don't know if that, you know, can just keep going or what. That's kind of what I meant. Like, it felt like they they squeezed an entire book into one season, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I think like Game of Thrones fans, readers would tell you that it messes with the pacing, you know. I suppose it can, although it's you know, not whatever. <laughs> compared to a, a movie, it still gives, you know, 10 hours is still a lot of time to to, to get to know these characters. Um, well, absolutely. I just I guess I just felt like everything got really out of hand really quickly. And I just I wasn't like prepared for it. Like it felt flash in the pan almost. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have appreciated a little bit more character development, but then I think, oh my god, these characters are all so awful. I don't want to watch them develop. Like, I just <laughs> want to watch them get killed. I do. I am interested to learn more about um, Joe's past. I feel like that's something, hopefully, that is addressed maybe a little bit more directly in the second season. Yeah. Because we see that he was taken in by this dude, and obviously it wasn't a great relationship. And, you know so on and so forth but i'd like to peel back the hood on that so to speak peel back the hood that's definitely not like a (laughs) turn of phrase (laughs) but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna peel that hood off that's a thing 
Okay. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> whatever. I'm sure I could find the hood of something that's peelable. Yogurt, yogurt hood. <laughs> you were saying earlier about it, like <laughs> that it is like meant to be. I mean, I think that 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 there's a lot of interesting thematic material, but it is also meant to be kind of over the top and pulpy, and you can sort of enjoy it in some of the same ways that that you enjoyed um, Gossip Girl. And, and I think some people, I think even Anna, I think when we were talking about this beforehand, that there are some interesting parallels too between Penn Badgley's characters in Gossip Girl and in You, where I think that his character, Dan, is sort of a, is in a lot of ways, this kind of person who sees himself as a nice guy, but is kind of a creep. And, but I don't know that the, that the show doesn't necessarily acknowledge that in Gossip Girl versus you. It's it's you know obviously very upfront about the fact that this is not a good person. Yeah, definitely. I I mean I grew up on Gossip Girl. I was watching every episode of that when I was younger. Um, and Dan Humphrey. It seems like Joe is the evil, toxic version of Dan Humphrey. Like Dan Humphrey gone wrong. I mean. Dan in Gossip Girl was the outcast. He lived in Brooklyn. He went to the private school with all the rich kids, but he also was like this sardonic English major and super moody. And, you know, he he didn't fit in, but he still um, was in love with Serena and dated all of the popular girls at some point. And so uh, you, you do kind of see similar characteristics, I think, but I don't well, think like, that Dan Humphrey... I don't know. Dan Humphrey was a plotter, you know, he was like, he had plots and he was like enacting his, his manipulation and will upon people. Like everyone painted, was it Blair? Blair as that person all the time, but in reality and Chuck, but in reality, Dan, I mean, without spoiling Gossip Girl, Dan, you know, yeah, he was. If you know, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you, you so, probably like, could spoil Gossip Girl because it's been off the air for like seven years now. But <laughs> Dan was like fucking Gossip Girl. Girl. <laughs> like he was the okay. ultimate creep. There, we'll say it. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's like the same idea. He was plotting. He was orchestrating. He was playing God and using people as his pawns and thinking that he knew better than everybody else um, and was just kind of pitting everyone. Well, and again, it comes from like a place of like holier than thou, like I'm so good and I'm the protector and I'm the smartest one in the fucking room. And they're very similar in my opinion. That's so true now that I think about the whole entirety of Gossip Girl and what his role was in it. So yeah, I think that it's pretty accurate to say that um, Joe is an evil version of Dan Humphrey or a more evil version of <laughs> an extra Humphrey. version. I mean, he's just Dan Humphrey yeah. after college. Like that's, I mean, <laughs> might as well have called him yeah. Dan Goldberg. Um, yeah. But anyway, I mean, I really got a kick out of the show and I will say this, that like the second that it finished, I was sad there wasn't more. Like I, I, it's, it's a great, to me, it's great bingeable TV. And I actually had a friend while I was watching you, I had a friend ask me like what I was watching and what they should watch on Netflix. And I was, and, and she, and she was clear. She was like, I want to watch something without having to like really watch something. And I said, this is perfect. You should watch you. <laughs> Cause it's like engaging yeah. when you're watching it. But if you're like playing a game on your phone, like it's not a crisis. I wouldn't say that for sharp objects. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no game playing. 
exactly. wearing sharp objects. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. But yeah, I, I liked yeah. it. Um, by the way, our the person one of the first people at least who recommended you to to me that's a weird phrasing um, was Sarah Perez, one of our colleagues who has joined our recording. Um, luckily, Sarah, Sarah uh, did, was not here for our in depth discussion of Gossip Girl, which I believe she has not watched. But Sarah, what did you think about you, and why did you want to recommend it to us? Yeah, so I started watching it on I guess Lifetime where it started. Um, oh, so you're like an OG You fan. Yeah, definitely. I was into You before it hit Netflix and it became sort of viral. And I just sort of found it through Hulu, um, I guess. Uh, and it didn't even really occur to me like what network it was on or, or whatever at the time. It was just a Hulu show, basically. Um, and what I really liked about it was sort of the way that it took something that people kind of naturally do when they're online dating, which is a little snooping on on their matches. Um, or even when you make a new friend and you kind of add them on Facebook or Instagram for the first time, you kind of go back through all their photos. And it took that sort of like common behavior that a lot of people kind of do, even if they don't want to admit to it, and took it to like this next level. But it didn't just do it like instantly where you're like, oh my God, this guy's a total creep. It kind of slowly boiled the frog so to speak to where at first you're like oh okay yeah he's just looking oh wait he's oh he's murdering someone okay that's a bit far (laughs) and so you almost start off like sympathizing with this guy because the main character is so unlikable uh the girl she's just you, you do kind of have this feeling like oh i i empathize with this this guy he's trying to save save her and that's actually really problematic. And then you realize that later that you've you've been rooting for like an evil monster, basically. So it it definitely makes you very confused about everything. Well, that's interesting because I feel like we've mostly talked about Joe, and, and I think sort of we're all on the same page that he's like this compelling character, but obviously not a, a great person, not a great no. friend. <laughs> what do we think about Beck, the 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 woman that he's interested in? I I. Th- I think she's very unlikable. I, I don't um, I don't think you're supposed to actually be rooting for her um, that much at first. And I, I think they intentionally even uh, wrote her character, maybe even cast her in a way that she's she's somebody that you're kind of like, oh, this girl. She's just she's very self involved. You can say uh, she's kind of. Um, got a little bit of an ego to her and she's just seems to be making terrible choices. Like the guy she's with at the time when he meets her is just like an awful human being. <laughs> so you do kind of see Joe stepping in like he's some sort of, you know, good guy. The, the, the funny thing is, is if he wasn't a stalker slash like murderer, you know, he might actually be the kind of boyfriend that, she would she would really do well with, but he just takes everything so far and he's, you know, so dangerous and evil that, uh, you know, obviously he, he is the bad guy in, in the end. And But it takes a while for you to kind of get to that point. You're not necessarily rooting for her and against him on episode one. Anna and Jordan, what do you think of Beck? I think I thought she was super annoying. Wow, you guys um, are way harsher than, yeah, than I, I, mean, I don't know. She just seems like this prototypical like English student who, 
you know, is really, I don't know. She's very, her character to me feels very weak and she really is not somebody who feels like strength in her friendships and herself. And she's very insecure. And it's not until the very last episode when she's alone with that typewriter that she writes something that's actually pretty good. And it's um, introspective and goes through, you know, the way she's viewed men and viewed her friends and dating her education and writing and all of that. And so she writes this beautiful thing at the, at the end of the series. And it was only then that I started to actually feel like I could identify with her and get on board with her character. I guess I felt like she was sympathetic just because she, <laughs> she was surrounded by so many bad people. Um, both like her professor, her boyfriend, her, even her, her like friends who are also women are kind of shitty. Um, and, and so like, I felt like in that crowd, she was the most sympathetic person. Even if I think, I think you're right, Anna, that especially initially, um, you're not supposed to, um, you know, I don't think you're supposed to think she's a great writer. Um, but like I felt like she didn't seem like a bad person. She didn't necessarily seem like a particularly good person, but she didn't she didn't seem that terrible or obnoxious to me either. Yeah, it seems like they wrote her character that way for that reason. Um, but she definitely does develop a little bit more as you see all of the bad things that have happened to her and what her family dynamic is like and um, all of that. So I think it was like that. For I think a reason. I. I... I appreciated Beck. I thought that character was done to the best of its ability. Cause like on the one hand, I mean, you guys didn't really like her very much on the one hand. I think she's like a, just a really, really normal person. She's like as standard and generic as it comes like a, a an aspiring 25 year old, whatever writer in New York who makes dumb decisions, but is generally like pretty clever and seems to, like want to do the right thing at least most of the time, but it's just like kind of a dumb person. Like she just makes mistakes and screws up and does like really irresponsible stuff. Like having sex in front of like an open window with no drapes. Like that's just on the first floor. It's so irresponsible in New York. Like, of course you're going to get stalked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, well, especially because she's on a busy street too. So you essentially have to make like the story is from his eyes so it's difficult character to create because she has to be essentially like smart enough and interesting enough for him who thinks he's great, right? So he's super narcissistic. She has to be annoying enough that we're not really upset when he does all these horrible things to her, but like normal enough that we can relate to her. You know what I mean? It's just like a lot of a lot of zones to cover for for a single character like that. You know what I mean? I think they did a pretty good job, like kind of hitting all the bases there. Yeah, you don't want her to be the person walking down into the basement where you're like, "Well, you're gonna get killed," (laughs) just or like where you're almost like, "At last!" (laughs) You want to be sad about it, but you don't want to be devastated by it, and that's like a really tough line to walk right where you're like oh man i i don't want anything bad to happen to beck but you're also like beck has made some horrible decisions though like honestly personal responsibility i i mean i guess i have this feeling just in general about like if you're in your 20s um you you do a lot of dumb shit and like that's not to say that you can't take that you shouldn't take responsibility but also 
a certain amount of that is just to be expected. And and that's just part of, you know, the normal process, I guess, particularly of being like a young aspiring writer in, in a big city, like you're, you're just going to make some mistakes. And I, I'm not so inclined to hold, hold that against her. Uh, yeah, that's fair, I guess. I, I mean, she is, you know, young and you do a lot of dumb things when you're young, but, um, yeah, she's definitely, I think she's definitely been written in a way to where you you do see him as potentially um, helping her with his stalking at first. You know, you think that he's just going to kind of get rid of her. Uh, is this a spoiler, I guess? Spoiler alert right now. Like get rid of some of her problems um, through the use of technology and social media and um, maybe social engineering. And then you realize later that he's going to really get rid of her problems. <laughs> okay, so let's say now, I feel like we've kind of talked a lot about our, our impressions of the show. So let's say we're going to do spoilers from on, here on out. So if people want to talk about the, um, the, the, you know, the, where, where the plot goes, you, you are welcome to do so. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the the curveball, the lesbian curveball there with uh, Peach Salinger. Who saw that coming? Yeah, that <laughs> I was, was like, crazy. what? I'm not sure if what? I cared for that, you know, because it made it, it almost took like Peach, who was already a um, she was just sort of an overbearing character um, who obviously was had her own issues and then kind of turned it into like a crazy stalker of her own. And I, I just felt like that was maybe a step too far. I feel like, yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Like was it necessary for her to have feelings for Beth? Like she was already overbearing as it well, was. So here, I think it achieved some of its goals and fell flat in a lot of ways. So Sarah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it was like a manufactured uh, problem like you can always feel in a plot with a show or a book or whatever when like a problem is inserted just because problems and solutions are the crux of stories right like oh a character's in a tough problem how are they gonna solve it like and it's just like oh we need an extra layer of problems in this point in the story let's just throw peach at it um but it did kind of you always want to see like there's some art to like unraveling something and, and seeing all the layers that you missed before. And I thought the idea of peach, (laughs) the idea of peach, like also kind of being in love with, with Beck explains a lot of peach's behavior from earlier episodes, which I thought was done well. Um, But yeah, overall, like the funniest bit of the whole thing is that, Beck does not have two stalkers as a person. I'm sorry. Like, I like Beck, but Beck does not have two <laughs> stalkers. I'm sorry. She has one. She has one tops, but she does not have two. You know, like, I, I that's just my thoughts on it. Beck's going to have to be way cooler yeah, to get two stalkers. And for me Wait, you don't think he was stalking her yeah. when she had, Why like, would... photos of her sprawled out in bed and all this stuff or whatever? No, no. I'm just saying, like, Beck isn't cool enough to warrant two people committing their lives to stalking her. Okay, I thought you were dismissing Peach as a stalker. No, no, no. Peach is definitely a stalker. I'm just saying Netflix has to make Beck a much cooler character if I'm supposed to believe that two people have completely lost their shit over her. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 
Very true. Yeah. But I liked the plot twist nonetheless as a lesbian. I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> let's see it. That scene at the house where all of that happens and Peach's uh, summer home or whatever they, wherever they were, I was on the edge of my seat <laughs> that entire episode. Intense. It was so it was well done. Super I intense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What were you In other words, how did you guys feel, how did you guys feel about the um, the ending of of the show and and well you know Beck's ultimate fate? I don't know. It's hard to evaluate the last episode based on the fact that I'd really like to see the first episode of the second season. Like the whole I forget what her name was, but his the one that haunts him. Candace. Right. Candace. Yeah. Like there are two questions. Like did Beck die? Probably. Is Candace real? I don't know. And I think a lot of how I feel about those two things depends on what happens in the next season. That's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I guess I heard that the plot in the second season moves to Yeah, which I'm kind of bummed out about. I like Um, shows set in New York. Yeah, I thought New York was a great setting for it. But I guess, yeah, it's going to move over to Los Angeles, I guess. It's about Joe and Candace. Um, I mean, yeah, really curious to see how it plays out. I haven't read the books. Um, so, yeah, I think it's also kind of hard to evaluate um, the last episode without knowing where it's And also not yet. really having a clear picture of what happened with Candace. Like, we have an idea, but, like, we heard it from everyone but him. He, the way he talked about it was misleading or vague. So I want to know what the hell actually happened with what was it Paris or Europe or something where he went yeah like is there any possibility that he that when Joe told Beck exactly his view of what happened with Candace is there any chance that that's actually legitimate that she just went to Europe and deleted her social accounts or you know changed her name or whatever it was that he had um, said that happened um, all, despite everyone having thought that he killed her or that there was some foul play um, and that she came back um, at the end of season one and it's going to be about them going forward um, or maybe she's a figment of his imagination and he killed her and we'll see a flashback know. I don't know it, it could, could go any it could go anywhere I'm just he's I, an I, unreliable narrator for sure definitely <laughs> Wait. Yeah, I mean, if she is, you know, alive and he's not been envisioning her, um, then the whole storyline with Beck would show that he is, you know, um, becoming more evil, I guess, more demented, that his behavior is escalating over time. And so now we should presume that he's actually very, very dangerous and that if Candace has returned, she could easily be next. Yeah. Yeah. Like something I had mentioned earlier was that it seems like the, the show is telling the story of a serial killer being born. Um, and who knows what he's going to do next, but he's certainly exhibiting, um, these behaviors that are linked towards <laughs> like murder. And I just watched the bunch of <laughs> like serial like killing. multiple like murder. murders. <laughs> He's definitely exhibiting behavior of a serial killer through his serial killings, in my opinion as well. Yeah, that's just my professional opinion. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to be a bitch. It's just funny. The whole thing is funny. It's it's sadly it's funny. I mean, I guess there's lots of lessons to learn about the modern world and social media and all that stuff. But 
the end of the day, it's just like guilty pleasure television, in my opinion. Well, yeah, guess- it really is kind of fluffy, despite it's, you know, uh, all the death and stalking and everything. It's not a, a, a very serious TV show. I mean, it may think you, it may have you thinking twice about all the posts you put out there on social media and who is really able to access them and what they're telling about you. Um, and if, if people take home that message, that might be beneficial that, Hey, maybe you don't need to post every little thing of your life. It's actually a lot of information if somebody does want to stalk you. Um, but the show itself doesn't seem to be very preachy about it. It's just, that's what it's using to tell it's pretty fluffy, almost soap opera y story about a crazy dude. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a serious show by any means and should be interpreted in a very serious way. But I think the one serious takeaway from it is that we have to stop romanticizing um, serial killers and especially attractive serial killers and that that's is dangerous. And that's something that Penn, Penn Badgley spoke about on his Twitter account as people or as women were kind of becoming fans of his character, Joe, and um, saying kind of weird sexual things to him on Twitter. And he just completely shut it down and was like, stop romanticizing Joe. He's a serial killer. He's violent against women. This is not acceptable. So I think if there's one serious thing to be um, called out from it, it's that, you know, attractive people have this kind of privilege and just because someone's attractive and doesn't look like a typical version of a serial killer, he's not Hannibal Lecter. We can't romance. Are you calling Hannibal Lecter unattractive? It depends on which version of Hannibal Lecter we're talking about. (laughs) In the Hannibal TV show, he is very attractive. I just want to be clear if that's what you're doing. Um, But he's not this like version of this scary, threatening person. You know, he's, not foaming at the mouth, you know, he's a, t- well, a traditionally I mean, attractive person. That's a good segue because so. we were talking valuable. about- Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, we talked a little bit before we started recording about the Ted Bundy tapes and how people were reacting to that. And Netflix even said something on Twitter about like, Ted Bundy was a serial killer, maybe stop calling him cute. Like, we would really appreciate if you did that. Um <laughs> And, like, people were totally head over heels for him. He had, like, whole followings of of people, um, women mostly, who were just head over heels for him. So it's it, you're right, Anna, that's an issue. He got married while he was on death row. It's insane. He was married and had a kid while he was on death row because this woman was such a big fan of his and believed him and was kind of this um, advocate for him. And it, it's just it, – we don't have to get into Ted Bundy, but, I mean, it's – I think there's definitely a parallel here about how long it took for Ted Bundy to be indicted and how much shit Joe gets away with in um, in uh, you because he's unassuming. Charming, even. Well, and I, charming. I think it's a good counter, oh, yeah. too, that um, you is a good counter to a lot of the crime shows that we have and, like, procedural kind of courtroom dramas and stuff because those – the vast majority of them, at least, unless they're really well done. Like, The Night Of was really well done. But most of them make it seem like crimes are just solved. Like, there's always some lead and there's some forensic evidence of, you know... And I'm not saying that crimes aren't solved, but I'm saying that, like, the, the, the stark reality is that, no, that a lot of people get away with a lot of shit, horrible shit, um, whether it's 
because of the justice system or evidence or whatever it might be. And so I think this is an interesting counter to that because you just see him, he's almost like just freely doing his, his shit. I mean, he's masturbating outside, he's murdering people, he's bopping around, he's sneaking into places, sneaking out of places. And some of it's a little unrealistic, like that he would not be seen or heard in certain places. But I mean, a lot of it is realistic. He would just get away with it. Yeah, it's cool. Well, it's interesting because, like, I just finally caught up and watched all of um, The People versus O.J. Simpson. And I think, Mm. like, which, A, it's embarrassing that it took me that long. But it's it's also about this idea of how much we bring to, like, when we think about guilt. Like, that we have so much baggage, right? And so that it, it is this idea of, well, of course, if, you know, you have this guy who thinks about and talks about and in some ways exhibits the behavior of, you know, a quote unquote good person or nice guy. And then he's played by the very attractive Penn Badgley. There's going to be this element, both of the characters in the show and then of the audience that are just like, well, he just, you know, he, like you were saying, Anna, like he's just like attractive and not just like physically attractive, but just that he meet, like, we're not used to thinking of somebody like that as like this, you know, really fucked up stalker slash serial killer slash lots of other things. Um, I do also, though, think that, like, even it, it, it's, I think that you're right, that there's, like, sort of a, an interesting idea to take away in terms of, like, not romanticizing serial killers, but also just not romanticizing all this idea of, like, a nice guy. And, um, and you know, that, like, it's that even before you see how bad Joe is, that I think it's making some interesting points about, the way, and again, you know, you know, frankly, stuff that I've, you know, been guilty of myself of like, you know, that you, you like frame yourself as like, oh, I'm the nice guy in this situation. And but actually, you're just a creep. <laughs> um, and 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 like, I think it's like very telling that the like the second episode is called The Last Nice Guy in New York. And, and just the way it sort of like, depicts this person, like, I don't think, obviously, a lot of the behavior that Joe does, especially in later episodes is, um, is really extreme and crazy. But like, that in a lot, I don't want like, I think part of the reason they're, they're interested in telling Joe's story is because where he starts, or at least what we see of him in that first episode, isn't that unusual that like, that's actually representing us, uh, you know, certain kinds of like, you know, I, I think this is kind of an overused word, but I think it is representing certain kinds of, of toxic behavior. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think when he he did speak to a couple of publications and I was reading through some of the things that he said and what he was saying is that he didn't want this show to be a cautionary tale for women. He was more so seeing it as a cautionary tale for men in terms of, oh, how far are you actually willing to go for love and when does something become inappropriate? If a woman is in some way telling you no, in some bit of her behavior, like, when do you know where to stop? And so I thought it was interesting that he took that standpoint on it and was saying that it was more about um, these ideas about how love does not equal possession and obsession and jealousy, but elements of these things can exist um, in relationships. The difference is just how far is a person willing to go in their behavior. So when we were talking about the, um, like, you know, the next season, I'm curious in terms of like how, because what I liked about the early episodes was how, like, that, that I feel like my feelings, but even though I knew, you know, like, intellectually that, that Joe was a stalker and, 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 and dangerous, um, that, like, my sympathy, that it still, he still had some of my sympathy. Um, to what extent was that sort of, when did that, did that sort of vanish for you guys? Like, are you, are you interested in a show, in a version of the show where it's just 
Joe as like just the pure villain and, and you sort of don't necessarily have that sympathy for him anymore. I don't think that that, that show will exist, maybe. I, I, I doubt that it will. You think, because, I mean, it has to, you still have to somewhat be on his side in, in a kind of a fucked up way, but still. Well, and I think yeah. here's the thing about Joe and here's the thing about a lot of, I think this is true about a lot of like evil people, people who are capable of really truly evil things is that they don't, they're, they're wearing their own shoes as well. Like Joe never really questions like his moral high ground. He might question his own strategy or his execution and some of his plans, but like he doesn't question his own goodness. He believes everything is coming from a really good place when he does these things. So I don't think that's going to change about him. Like I think he can get increasingly evil and sinister and still believe he's a good guy and force you to kind of hear his side of the story and just in by nature of believing it and having the voiceover. Yeah, definitely. I like my villains oh. to be multifaceted. <laughs> and so I think I like one. my villains multifaceted. It's funny. Right. right? No, I like, like all my well, characters to be dimensional, but yeah. <laughs> I worry that the second season will not be as addictive as this first season now that we sort of know what Joe is all about and we're not kind of figuring it out as we go along and they're just going to kind of rehash him becoming obsessed and stalking and then ultimately, you know, uh, causing violence or murdering people uh, and, and just sort of the same story with different, different characters. I would not be as interested in that. So I'm kind of curious to see where, where they take it. I agree with that, Sarah. I think it's all going to be in like how procedural is it? Because if they're just swapping out Guinevere Bex, I don't, I'm good. But if they find a way to like raise the stakes in some way or change things, I mean, I'm the ex girlfriend figures out how to take them down or something. I'm kind of holding (laughs) out hope that Guinevere is like still out and living, but I don't think she is. But that would be. I don't really want her to be dead although i think it's kind of interesting that her character only became more developed after she had terrible things happen to her because of joe perhaps it even made her writing better so um not that he brought good things to her life but she was sort of a you know one note kind of character at the very beginning um and then once her life became complicated because of him she became a lot more interesting so um, I, I don't know. You guys, I've been thinking about watching it again, just like kind of as background noise. And I always talk myself out of it because I think like, no, it won't be good a second time. What do you guys think? Uh, I don't, I mean, do what you want, <laughs> but I feel like this kind of show is, uh, is kind of fun when it's, when it's new and you don't know what's going to happen next because it is designed to be very like addictive and bingeable to where as soon as you finish one episode you have to know you're just playing the next episode and when you kind of know what's gonna happen it's yeah like you said it would be background noise i think i was um i was right in not doing it i think you just solidified it okay you're welcome Uh, thank you (laughs) all right i'm kind of done does anybody have any other thoughts no i think i'm good 
Before uh, before you listeners tune out, this uh, is just my weekly reminder that you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on any other podcast app. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it, especially if you like the show. And Jordan, Anna, and Sarah, thank you for joining me. Mm, thank you. Thanks for having us.